Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. For the sake of your Son, our Savior. Amen. All right, so what is the mission of the church? If you think about it, every church that we've ever been a part of says that they're passionate about mission. But what do we mean when we use the word? What do we mean by mission? Mission can be used narrowly to mean Christians sent out cross-culturally to convert non-Christians and plant churches. But today the term mission is used more broadly. It could mean renewing the city, blessing our neighbors, tackling social problems, But when we ask the question, what is the mission of the church, what we're really asking is, what is the specific task or purpose that the church is sent into the world to accomplish? And I believe that the Bible teaches us that the mission of the church is singular. There is one mission, and the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And that is my main point for this sermon this morning. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. These few verses at the end of Matthew's gospel helps us understand the church's mission. Some have called them the marching orders of the church. And at the beginning of chapter 28, we read of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary arrive at the tomb of Jesus. And this angel of the Lord tells them, he is not here. He is risen. The Lord is risen, and he's going before them to Galilee. And as they run to tell the disciples, Jesus actually meets these two women. They worship him, and he tells them to not be afraid and to go and tell his brothers to go to Galilee to meet him. And it's important to note the fact that Jesus calls the disciples his brothers. He calls the disciples, all who left him, all who fled from him, Peter who denied him, he calls them his brothers. Notice Jesus doesn't call them wimps 
He doesn't call them traitors. He calls them brothers, forgiven family members. Take a look at verse 16. So the 11 disciples go to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. But there's only 11 here. There was normally 12 disciples. One is missing. Judas is not with them. He had betrayed Jesus and killed himself. And they're on this mountain in Galilee. Galilee was the place where Jesus' mission began. Matthew mentions in chapter 4 of his gospel that the prophet Isaiah foretold of the Messiah who would be a light to the people who were dwelling in a land of deep darkness in Galilee of the Gentiles. And you probably remember that Jesus calls his first disciples by the Sea of Galilee. This is the place where Jesus' mission began. And now Jesus turns to his disciples and sends them on mission. In verse 17, it says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, and some doubted. They worshipped him. Before them is not only their rabbi, not only their friend, but it's the resurrected Son of God who is worthy of their worship. So they worship him. But how can the disciples worship and also doubt. The word translated here for doubt can also be translated as hesitated. So they worshipped him and hesitated. Most likely it wasn't because they truly doubted who Jesus was, but they couldn't believe what their eyes saw. Just a little while ago, this man was crucified on a Roman cross and laid in a tomb. He actually died. And now he's before them, breathing. Looking at them face to face, on a mountain, overlooking the sea in which he first met them. One commentator writes, The mingling of faith, joy, and hesitation is common to humanity. Too much had happened too fast for them to be able to assimilate it. They experienced both joyful faith and uncertainty. They both worship and hesitate. That's the context of our text this morning. In the midst of their worship and hesitation, Jesus turns to his disciples and commissions them. In verses 18 through 20, we will see three things. We're going to see Jesus' authority, Jesus' commission, and Jesus' promised presence. First, we'll see Jesus' authority. Take a look at verse 18. And when Jesus came and said to them, or, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The Son of God has always had supreme authority. But that authority was veiled before his resurrection. 
Paul writes in Romans 1.4 that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Here it is right here. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ's humble obedience to the Father's plan of salvation to the point of death on a cross has given him this status of authority and power. His his successful mission on earth in his death and resurrection gave Jesus this new status, a new and glorious status. And this is the theme of kingship all throughout Matthew's gospel. But we have the peak right here. Matthew first introduced us to this king in the genealogy. Jesus was introduced as the son of David, whose kingdom would last forever but also the son of Abraham, who would bless all nations. And here, at the end of Matthew's gospel in chapter 28, in these last verses, the king has authority over heaven and earth, and he sends out his church into the world to bless the nations. His work on the cross and his resurrection Reveal his victory, his victory over sin and death for himself and for his people. Paul writes in Ephesians 1 that when Christ was raised from the dead, he was seated at the Father's right hand in the heavenly places. It says this, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Not the pastor, not the deacons, not the church leadership. Christ is the head of the church. And nothing is outside of his authority. And no purpose of his can fail. So no power on earth can tell you that you can't go to the nations and preach the gospel. Because Jesus is the one who is in charge. 
Jesus standing before his disciples on a mountain, which is so symbolic if you think about it, right? Because you're in between heaven and earth. He says, I have authority over it all. And as we consider the mission of the church, what he has called us to do, and we feel that enormous weight. It's an enormous weight. Let's not forget his authority. We can be confident that he both can and will accomplish his purposes because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Amen? So we see Jesus' authority in this text. We also see Jesus' commission. So take a look at verses 19 through 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, to observe all that I have commanded you. The therefore obviously points back to Jesus having all authority. And he says, go and make disciples. But the word go in our English translations give us this impression that that is the main verb. That's the main command. But in the original Greek, the main imperative or the main command is make disciples. This is what Jesus sends his church out to do. To make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. Remember, Matthew's gospel was written primarily to the Jews. But he continues all throughout his gospel to let his readers know that God's plan of salvation is not only to the Jew, but it's also to the Gentiles. It's for all nations. His promise to Abraham would be fulfilled and his disciples being made of all nations. All tribes, languages, and people groups. Jesus predicted that Christianity would be a worldwide religion. And it is. Can you imagine being one of these 11 men standing on this mountain with Jesus and hearing that your task is now to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? They'd have to travel far and wide with so much risk and danger involved. But these men who worshipped and some who doubted were humbly obedient to Jesus' command. The fact that the gospel has reached you is testimony to that. Think about the demographics of our church the gospel has spread far and wide. But that does not mean the mission of the church is complete. And it doesn't mean that the mission of the church has changed. Our mission is the same mission that was tasked to the disciples on that mountain in Galilee. To make disciples of all nations. To make disciples of all people everywhere without distinction. But we have to ask the question, what is a disciple? A disciple is a follower, and so a disciple of Jesus would be a follower of Jesus. 
A disciple is someone who hears, who understands, and obeys Jesus' words. Making disciples involves evangelism. It involves going. Not staying within the walls of our churches, but going out into the world. Not waiting for the world to come to us. We go out into the world and share the gospel. And we share what Christ did. The word go in verse 19 could also be translated to as you go. So as you live out your normal, everyday life, as a student, as a carpenter, as a businessman, as a mother, as a caretaker, throughout your normal, everyday life, live as followers of Christ. Tell people about Jesus. Be intentional at the grocery store. Be a regular at the coffee shop or at the library or at the gym. And as you go, make disciples. Seek out places where you know you can be a witness. But being a disciple of Jesus does not begin with what we do. Being a disciple of Jesus does not begin with what we do, but begins with what Christ did. In order to make disciples, we must share the gospel. We must tell what Christ did. We share that God is good and that he created us. But each and every one of us has sinned by turning away from God and his good law. And because God is good, and because he is righteous, he has to punish our sin. But the good news of the gospel is this, is that Jesus lived the perfect life that we should have lived. And Jesus died the death that we deserve. He offered himself as the substitute and a sacrifice for everyone who will repent of their sins and trust in him alone. And so after hearing what Christ has done, we receive this free gift of mercy from God through faith. We turn away from our sins and believe in Jesus. We follow him. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So a disciple is someone who denies themselves and follows Christ. A disciple is someone who hears, who understands, and obeys Jesus' words. So Jesus calls the church to go and make disciples. We are to bring outsiders in. There is this evangelistic aspect of making disciples. But we don't rely on ourselves. This is the good news. God is sovereign, and he has chosen whom he will save before the foundations of the world. And so it's not our responsibility to choose whom we're supposed to evangelize to, but we are called to evangelize to all. That is our task. 
We don't choose. He chooses. Evangelism is only one part of disciple-making. Evangelism is only one part of the Great Commission. Going out and handing someone a resource or a Bible is not the Great Commission. Granted, making disciples involves evangelism, but when people respond to the gospel message, they are to be baptized and taught. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus commands that disciples are baptized. All throughout the New Testament, those who believed were baptized. If you look at the book of Acts, Jesus' followers, his disciples, followed what Jesus commanded here. When people believed in Jesus, shortly after, they were baptized. And where does baptism happen? It happens in the local church. It normally, place, or normally takes place in the local church so that all can see and bear witness to what God is doing and how that he is blessing the nations. What a privilege we have. We, we had a privilege to, to watch Nate get baptized this morning. In baptism, there's this public declaration of what Christ has gone, done and also a declaration of whom that disciple now serves. We are commanded to baptize believers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe in one God, one God, but three persons, the Holy Trinity. And here Matthew is emphasizing to his readers the fact that both Jesus and the Holy Spirit are God, not just the Father. The disciples were right to worship Jesus on that mountain in Galilee because he is God. And so when a, a disciple is baptized, they are brought into fellowship with and under the authority of the Trinity, the one true God. And so as a disciple, you're able to call God the Father your heavenly Father. As a disciple, you're able to call God the Son your personal Savior. And you're able to rely on the Spirit to bring illumination, to bring comfort, and to remind you of Jesus. This is a great privilege we have as disciples. Baptism is important. Jesus included it in the mission of the church. It's important. Pastor John MacArthur says this, The person who is unwilling to be baptized is at best a disobedient believer. If he is unwilling to comply with the simple act of obedience in the presence of fellow believers, he will hardly stand for Christ before an unbelieving world. A hard message, but it's true. Baptism is synonymous with becoming a disciple. It's not an optional extra for followers of Jesus. 
But friends, baptism is a privilege. After I baptized Nate, he was all smiles and so excited. He recognizes what a privilege it is to be baptized. A disciple is someone who hears, who understands, and obeys Jesus' words. Making disciples involves evangelism, it involves going, it involves baptism, but it also involves teaching. Jesus says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Jesus does not foresee a time when any part of his teaching will be unuseful or untrue. Everything he has commanded must be passed on to generation to generation to the very end of the age. God's plan is for Christians to be made in the local church. The church makes disciples through teaching. But Jesus doesn't command the disciples to just teach or to only inform or to just fill all of our disciples with head knowledge and theology without practice. Jesus commands us to teach them to observe or to teach them to obey all that he has commanded. Christian churches are only Christian if they center on Christ's commands. We don't want our disciples to imitate us. We want our disciples to imitate Christ. We are not just to teach content, but to teach them to live the Christian life, teach them to follow and obey Jesus. This is why with international missions, we need to be concerned to see indigenous churches planted because that's where disciples are made. We don't want to go and tell somebody the gospel and then pack up and leave where they have no place to be discipled, no believers around them to share the means of grace with, the word, prayer, and the sacraments. We want to see churches planted so that disciples are grown. But our church must exemplify this as well. What Christ taught and commanded must be studied and studied to the point of learning, knowing, and practicing. Colossians 1.28 says this, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. As the church, we just don't make converts and then move on. Like Paul, we strive to present everyone mature in Christ. Jesus commanded and taught a lot of things, so it's going to take a long time to teach these things. His commandments are found in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. His commandments are found all throughout the New Testament. He fulfills prophecies all throughout the Old Testament. So we are to preach Christ from all the scriptures. Pastor Dick Lucas said, Christ's teachings cover a vast amount of topics. God and man, life and death, true religion and false religion, happiness and sadness, 
wealth and poverty, time and eternity, heaven and hell, righteousness and unrighteousness, just to name a few. Teaching disciples to observe all that Christ commands. Teaching disciples to observe all that Christ commands helps them to navigate this life with all of its joys and with all of its sorrows. The way to live the Christian life is to obey everything that Jesus said. And so we need to refresh ourselves and others in what Jesus has said and then do what he has said. A disciple uses the words of Christ, the words of the scripture, as food for the soul. He wants to eat every word of it. He wants to know every word of it and learn to obey what it says. So, of course, our discipleship happens here as we listen to a sermon preached on a Sunday morning, but we must be discipling others in other areas as well, through Sunday school, through small groups, maybe one-on-one -on -one meetings at a coffee shop or for lunch. Our lives should be dedicated to helping others follow Jesus. This is the mission of the church. This is why the church exists. But if we're honest, many of us see this as a big task that we don't want to be a part of. The reason that we're not engaged with disciple making is because we don't have the interest. We think we don't have the time to do it. If we're really honest, we're lazy. Or simply, we just don't care. It's messy work. It's not simple. Real people have to come together and confess sin. We have to bear one another's burdens. We have to open up, and our culture is not a culture that likes opening up. In the process of discipleship, we sin against one another. But in thinking about this big and messy task, we must remember that, yes, Jesus commands us to do it, but he also invites us to participate in it. It's a privilege to be the ones tasked with this. Jesus entrusts us as the church And so, in reality, is it really us who makes disciples? Not really. It's Jesus who makes disciples. We are called to be faithful in our proclamation of the gospel. We are called to be faithful in teaching the importance of obeying Jesus in baptism and in learning to obey his commands. But it is God alone who can change the heart of an individual. We don't want people to just raise their hands or walk forward or sign some sort of card that says that they have made some decision. Let's not be a church like that. Let's be a church that desires to see lives transformed. We want to see people that love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their might, with all of their strength, and that they love their neighbor as themselves. 
Yes, only God can produce that, but he invites us to be a part of it. Yes, it's messy. Yes, it takes work and time. Yes, it will mean that we ourselves will have to open up, but it's worth it. This is what Christ has commanded his church to do. He promises to provide power, but he also promises to be with us. This is the end of Matthew's gospel. And at the end of Matthew's gospel, at the end of Christ's commission to the church, he doesn't end with a command. He ends with a promise. The promise of Jesus' comforting presence. You see that in verse 20? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word all is repeated all throughout this commission. Jesus, had all, Jesus has all authority. His followers make disciples of all nations by teaching all that Jesus commands and empowered by his presence always, which literally means all the days. And this I am with you statement from Jesus is the third time in the Gospel of Matthew where God's people are reminded of God's presence. You see it in chapter 1 at Jesus' birth. He is called Emmanuel, God with us, the one who will redeem his people. In chapter 18, Jesus says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And here in chapter 28, at the very end, the last verse of this gospel, Jesus is God with us to disciple the nations. He will never, ever leave you. No matter the problem, no matter the darkness, no matter the opposition, Christ will never ever leave you. Jesus does not leave his people powerless or alone. He will be with us always to the end of the age. And so as we consider this text and what Jesus has commanded us to do, what does this mean for us as the church? Because there is a lot of need and hurt in the world, right? But the church is called to one mission, to make disciples of Jesus Christ. The argument against the church in general is that it's done a pretty good job, but just not the one that Jesus commanded it to do. It's neglected its core mission of discipling its members. It's not the mission of the church to renew the city or to solve social problems. That being said, as Christians, we should not be indifferent to the suffering of those around us. And as Christians, it's important to consider to love our neighbor and find ways to impact our cities. We cannot divorce the great commandment to love God and love our neighbor with the great commission 
But is it, is it wrong to have incredible programs at our church? No. Is it wrong to have a community focus? Nope. Is it wrong to run a coffee shop, a thrift store, or a sports league? No. These are thoughtful ways of getting the church outside of its walls into its community. None of these things are wrong. Actually, these and many other things that we do are both good and necessary, but are they the main priority? That's the question. Are they the main priority? And the answer is for sure, no. Our first priority is following Jesus' command that he gave to his first followers because that command continues to the church today. The church will not be effective in our mission if everything is our mission. The unique task of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so how do we do this? Well, as the church, we are tasked to go out into this world and tell people about Jesus. And then for those who respond, we help them learn what it is to follow and obey him. These verses, these verses are often used to encourage international missions. Especially since it says to make disciples of all nations, right? And so we can and should participate in supporting missionaries through our prayer and finances. But that is not where the command stops. We are living in a very unique period of time where essentially many people from many nations live all around us. While these verses are a commission to all missionaries all throughout the world, they also apply to each and every one of us. You have lost people in your lives, in your neighborhoods, in your school, at your work, who need to hear the message of the gospel. The city of Elgin needs the message of salvation. Our world, the nations, need the gospel more than anything. Mission is risky, right? We could be made fun of. We could get yelled at. We could get attacked. There are many consequences that will come our way for being faithful followers to Jesus' command. But remember, remember this, that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he promises to be with you always. So let's obey Christ in making disciples as disciples to give of our time and energy into teaching others what it truly means to follow and obey Jesus. You can do that through serving through the various ministries here at Calvary. We give our time and energy to way lesser things. We have to be honest about that. Making disciples has eternal ramifications. It's worth it. And it's a privilege. Listen to this from Romans chapter 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We have received a commission from the one who has all authority in this world to help others understand who Jesus is, what he has done, and disciple those who trust in him by obeying all that he has commanded. So what are you doing with this commission? What are you doing with this commission? If you're here and you're not a believer, it's my prayer that you see your sin and your need for a Savior. I or any member of this church would love to talk to you about Jesus. So please come talk to us. But if you're a believer and you'd like a good resource for evangelism, I have five copies of the Gospel of John right here that I love to give any one of you who promises to use this in evangelism. If you'd like to serve our church through discipling others, or if you feel like you need to be discipled, we would love to talk to you. Please come see me or Mike Glanzer, who uh, prayed for our offering this morning. He is um, uh, head over discipleship of the church here. But the main point of this sermon this morning is this. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would make us a church that stays on mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Forgive us in the times where we have gone off mission, Lord. Forgive us for not even caring about sharing the gospel or helping others love and obey Jesus. Give us hearts that desire to do these things. Help us to seek opportunities to live out the Great Commission. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who has all authority and has promised to be with us always. Amen. Amen.